Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Bible in Order, where we are chronologically going through the entire Bible in one year. Today's reading for October 10th is Matthew chapters 5 through 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount. We covered a little bit of it in Luke, and Matthew gives the most detailed account of this message that we have in the scriptures. Some people would consider it to be the constitution of the kingdom of heaven. These are the rules that Christians are to live by. These are the statutes that instruct us, that lead us into the way of life. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The word poor there in the Greek refers to somebody who is bent over like crouching or cowering in a position of begging. Those who continually beg God for more of his spirit own the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The mourning there is not just a lament, not just a sadness. It refers to the grief that one experiences over the loss of a loved one or maybe the end of a relationship. But the grief is manifested in such a way that it's not physically hidden. It's being so overcome with grief that you can't hide it from the people around you. We're so overcome with this grief, with this mourning, but what is it that we're supposed to be mourning? And I believe it's the gap. It refers to the gap. The thing that we mourn is the gap between where we are and where we need to be. The gap between how righteous we are and how righteous we should be, how faithful we are and how faithful we should be. The gap between who we are when nobody's watching us and who we should be when nobody is watching. Blessed are the humble or the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness is having tremendous power, but not using it to defend one's self. The way God deals with us, when people defame him, he doesn't rush to judgment right away. He's loving and patient and kind, and it's those who develop that aspect of God's character who will inherit the earth. It's those who can wield power with responsibility and not using it for their own gain or to puff up their own pride and assure themselves of their own strength. Those will be the ones who are worthy to inherit the earth. We have to develop the character of putting others first, of extending grace, of being merciful in order to show God that we are trustworthy, that he can entrust us with his creation. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. We see this law of reaping and sowing. Being merciful is acting in a manner that is consistent with revelation of God's covenant. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. That word see refers to physical sight and or spiritual sight. But pure in heart, pure meaning undefiled. When something is pure, it's just, it has no contaminant. It's clean. When something's dirty, it's not because dirt is bad. It's just because it doesn't belong there. The dirt is useful in a garden. It's not useful when it's on your shirt. Our hearts should be clean, undefiled, undistracted, focused on one 
thing, and that is God's kingdom and his righteousness. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. In other words, they will be like God. Friends, we should be like God. We are mirroring him. And so even when we are at work or at school or at home or walking our neighborhoods or shopping or wherever we are, we should be ministering God's peace everywhere we go, reconciling the world to God by our example and by our love for people. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for the kingdom of God is theirs. That word persecution is widely misunderstood. If somebody comments negatively on a Facebook post, that's not persecution. The word persecution here really refers to a prize that is being hunted down the way a hunter seeks his prey, the way a dog would chase a squirrel. Religious persecution against Christians is when they seek you in order to kill you. It's referring to something much greater than any of us in America are dealing with, at least so far today. When we understand these principles and we put them into place, we will be like the salt and the light of the earth. The salt is a preservation. It adds flavor. Light shows the way. In verse 17, Jesus says, Don't think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. We've been taught that we're under grace and that we don't need to keep the law any longer. And in one sense, that's true, but also in a more real sense, Jesus is saying right here, until heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not one stroke of a letter will pass away until all things are accomplished. Whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. It's not saying that you can't go to heaven. It's saying that if you break the law and then you teach other people not to keep the law, to follow you in your grace, in your freedom, you'll be considered least in the kingdom of heaven. In verse 21, Jesus talks about murder. Of course, we know it's wrong to take innocent life. And then Jesus says, even if you think about it, even if you have malice in your heart, you're guilty. Verse 27 begins talking about adultery. The law says don't commit adultery. Jesus says, even if you think about it, you're guilty. Don't even think about it. Don't even desire it. And people would say, I can't help it. I see somebody who's attractive. I can't, my mind sometimes just goes there and we have to say, God, help us. This is where the poverty of spirit comes in. We beg God, please come, please come and change me. Father, give me your spirit. Guard my mind. Help me to take every thought captive. Father, help me. Change me. Help me to be more like you. Verse 44, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Remember what persecution is? Somebody who's hunting you down, seeking your life. Pray for that person. Love your enemies. Verse 48 says, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. When we give and when we pray, we don't do it for a show. We don't do it to earn approval from other people. We don't do it so people will look at us and respect us for our sacrifice of time, of energy, of resources. We do it secretly. And then this 
Lord's Prayer is really maybe should be called the Disciples' Prayer. They asked him, how should we pray? He teaches them, our Father who is in heaven, holy and set apart is your name. May your kingdom come. May your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Friends, we should pray this every day over our families, over our homes, over our cities, over our nation. May your will be done in the Doty home as it is in heaven. May your will be done in Estero, Florida as it is in heaven. May your will be done in the United States as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Give us what we need for today. Forgive us our debts or our transgressions, our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. The measure we use to judge others will be used against us. Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Key verse 614, if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. So important how we love and treat one another. So integral to our faith, to our relationship with God. So much so that if we're offering a sacrifice to God at the temple and something comes up in our heart where we have an offense against another person, we need to go to that other person and be reconciled to them first. Verse 22 says, the eye is the lamp of the body. That really refers to a portable lamp there. It's something you would carry with you, only gives you the ability to see a couple feet in front of you so that you can know which way to go. And the eye is where you're focused. And so where your eye is fixed, that will provide the direction for your feet to follow and you will get what you seek don't worry about tomorrow matthew 6:33 says seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of the things that you need for this life will be will be provided for you don't judge so that you yourself won't be judged A lot of people use this out of context. They say that we're not to judge one another. And that is true in a sense, but it also teaches us that we are to inspect fruit in this passage. And there are other verses in the scripture that say that we are to judge one another. We're not to judge the world, but we are to judge one another. And so we need to be careful. I think Jesus' intention here is to say we don't judge the intentions of other people. If somebody does something to offend you, don't automatically assume that they were trying to offend you. That will just drive a wedge between the two of you even more. But if you assume that they did not mean to offend you, it gives you the grace to go to that person and be reconciled to them. Chapter 7, verse 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Whoever asks, receives. Whoever seeks, finds. Whoever knocks, to them the door will be opened. It's the importance of prayer, friends. Verse 13 refers to the narrow gate. It instructs us, most people will not enter in. Wide is the path that leads to destruction. Most people will not find it. Be on your guard against false prophets. Many people will come in dressed as one of us appearing to be like us, 
but they have ulterior motives. They're in it for the wrong reasons. They're not trying to point us toward God and help us along that path. They're doing it for their own selfish ambition. Jesus says, you'll know them by your fruit. Twice in that paragraph, you'll know them by their fruit. The thing they produce will expose their character and their intentions and their ambitions. In other words, what is coming out of their ministry? When you look at the teachers you follow or those who have ministries you respect, what is coming out of their ministry? Are people growing in the faith? The emphasis is on the quality. Are people being changed? It doesn't matter if you have 50,000 people in your church who show up every week or tuning in for the live stream. If people's lives are not being changed, it frankly doesn't matter if they feel better about themselves after watching the message. What matters is, is fruit being born in their lives? Are they becoming more like God? Are they taking hold of what God has for them in regard to their own personal ministries? If you've been going to the same church or following the same teachers for decades, and you're in the same spiritual condition now that you were 10 or 20 years ago, you may want to reconsider those you are following. Verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. And many will say to him on that day, on the day of judgment at Christ's return, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we heal people in your name? And he'll say, I never knew you. Depart from me. We won't be in that condition. We won't receive that response from Jesus because we are truly following him. And I pray for each one of you, may you truly be following him. May we lay down our own dreams and ambitions and pick up the ones he has for us. I would encourage you guys to pray, to fast, to ask God what he is dreaming for your life and see how you can partner with him and dream with him because he gives us the desires of our heart when we delight in him. God bless you, my friends. Thank you for being on this journey with me. We'll see you tomorrow.